the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Great to be together. I hope you had a great weekend getting into a holiday week. A lot of people getting ready to have family time and all coming on. But we got some work to do still this week. And so the big news, big news is that late on Friday, the... um, uh, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, released a statement along with a portal where you can view the January 6th video. Now, the exciting thing is that there was lots of coverage of the fact that he is living up to his promise to release the video. And I'm all for that. I'm on board. I think it's really great that he did that. I happen to know that for a period of probably almost three months, they've been working on this portal. They called it a waiting room in the past. And I know this because Congressman Barry Loudermilk, who's a really good guy, has been the one doing this. And so I knew they were working on it. I actually knew that this this uh, this waiting room was going to be a place initially to get all the video that had been released to anyone in public. In other words, uh, Tucker Carlson got six hours. I got uh, about an hour. Um, other people got a bunch of different things. And it was going to be a place where anything that had been released to the public was going to be put there. And frankly, that's what's there. There's not a lot there yet. Uh, but there's... A lot that, well, let me say it better. There's a lot there, meaning, hey, people over the weekend spent a bunch of time looking and finding video of how lame the so-called insurrection. It wasn't armed. It wasn't an insurrection. It wasn't planned. It was uh, escorted uh, about by uh, the Capitol Police and others. And then there's lots of things that make you question. So there's a lot there, but it's not a lot of hours by numbers. And if you look closely, there's people that are savvy. Will Pope, my friend, Will Pope from out in Kansas, who said, hey, wait a second, don't get too excited. Uh, It's not a lot. You know, there's there's probably 15,000 hours that matter. And there's 44,000 hours total. There's a lot of hours of video that's just an empty uh, room that's, uh, you know, cameras running. There's dozens and dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of rooms like that and hallways where no one walks in it at all. So uh, but but there's probably 15,000 hours and there's lots of holes. So here's the thing. This is directionally great. It's great. 
And you're starting to see the narrative machine uh, sort of breaking down big tech, big media and big government. Lots of criticism over the weekend of the fact that the uh, the, the stupid select committee of Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson is a fraud. And people are calling that out by name and they're getting to the bottom of it. It's all good. It's all good. But it's only the start. It's only the start. And there are intimations in some of the uh, uh, in some of the descriptions that they're going to do this in a way that might be worrying. And I'm just going to say some of them out loud that one of the things that was in one of the documents said uh, that with the, the speaker Johnson put out said we're going to on, on some of the video, we're going to blur out people's faces. And I don't know what that means, because you just can't do that. I mean, what are you going to do? Pick and choose. Lots of people that are in there are are not they're private people, but they're in a public place. Are you going to blur out just law enforcement? I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that. I mean, I think, as I said before, there there is a point here where, as unfortunate as it is, when you're a public servant, if you end up being uh, outed, if you end up being identified, well, then you have to um, uh, you have to um, uh, live with that. Uh, w- without um, without a- a regret. I mean, y- you may wish. I, mean, I have a friend of mine whose father was an undercover uh, detective, and um, he one time I think he got outed. And, you know, you have to leave your undercover assignment. There are military that sometimes remember uh, Joe Biden was on a on a route on a trip uh, and to I was it Afghanistan or no, it was um, to the middle Israel, maybe it was might have been Israel. And there were special forces guys uh, that, uh, that are supposed to stay confidential and their faces were uncovered. That's unfortunate, but that just happens. And those guys either have to be protected then or they have to go out of that service. Right. And that's sad. It may make you frustrated, may make you angry, but that's the way life works. And part of the reason that you have public servants in law enforcement, for example, is that they and they get paid well and they have good insurance and they have good pensions is because they're going to have situations that are both dangerous, but also unfortunate. It would be better not to be a Capitol policeman and have your face on the screen. But in this context, because what what, what do you need to have people uh, bringing things up? But in this context, we, the people have a right to get to the bottom of it. And that's what's happening. So it's all very good news. It's very, very helpful. It is a serious, um, a serious, uh, smart way to do it. And it's coming along. It's coming along. And I, there's a lot more that has to be done. I have told you all that I'm worried that uh, that there is a window where it, it will start to get harder to have things done, probably about six months before the election. So the elections in November, probably by about May 15th. If you haven't gotten stuff done, you're not going to see much action. A a lot of members are not going to be in Washington to get involved, and mostly they're going to be risk averse. They're just battening down the hatches, getting ready to run for office and run for reelection and whatever it is. So uh, you got a window that worries me. You know, it's already uh, November 20th. It's already in the middle of November. You're going to hit the holidays. Before you know it, you're going to be five or six months left before you can remotely expect uh that, well before things will stop the window where you can you know expect to get things done is happening uh right now and it's happening for about six more months so uh uh the the, the, the this is an important thing but so look i i am on the team that says excellent 
Really good start. Speaker Johnson living up to one of his promises. Speaker Johnson giving us something to look at, giving us something to focus on, giving us a way to think about it. It's going to make a big difference. It's going to make a big difference. Now, one of the things that's detailed that I know, and I've told you all, and you probably do know it, but I'm going to tell you again. When you watch that video, yeah, there's some people that get out of control. Yeah, there's some people that go rioting. But the vast majority of people are walking through the building effectively escorted by law enforcement and and treated by law enforcement like 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 they are, you know, coming into something that that, you know, that they're they, at one point they have one guy who they have in, in uh, some sort of cuffs, uh, probably zip ties. And they come around and they, they take them off and they fist bump with the guy. In other words, they got along that well that they're not exactly fighting. They're not exactly dramatically uh, fighting each other in in lo- in vast amounts of places where basically people came up to the Capitol and they said, we want to make our voices heard. Our objection needs to be recognized peacefully, not the ones that got loud and crazy. But then the, the, the two things that have to be acknowledged, one, there are clear there's clear video of law enforcement firing tear gas and other things into the crowd. It looks it looks not appropriately done. It looks not according to the rules. We'll see. I'm not saying I know. But the second thing is this. There's at least one on video on uh, uh, able to be heard member of the Capitol Police, I think it is, who says we were set up. And what he's saying to his colleagues is his own bosses didn't have this planned out. And there's something to that. That it looks like this, the the preparation for this event that would have had plenty of warning, plenty of warning. It would have had it would have had warning until the cows come home. Because as I've told you over and over again, when I served as chief of staff to the governor of Missouri, when there were major events going on, you would get from the law enforcement a briefing. And it would be the chief of staff would get the briefing and the head of public safety would get the briefing. Lots of people would get the briefing that said what was going on. We expect 300,000 people to be in St. Louis for the 4th of July. We've got these things we're working about, worried about, blah, blah, blah. You, and we, we know that there were people that were saying, hey, we're tracking the fact that there's going to be a, a million people in the Capitol. We've got the hotels book. We see it. You know, we're getting reports in and this is what we're doing about it. It feels like that the law enforcement that ended up having to deal with the brunt of the riot stuff was not prepared and and they were set, they were set up meaning that the bosses Pelosi and and the chief of police were either incompetent or intentionally they didn't mind having chaos one of those two things seems very very likely but look top of the world top of the headlines don't let it get lost by everything else that's going on. Speaker Johnson, thank you. It's a start. We've got a lot more work to do. Let's get to it. Let's keep pushing and get this video out and shut. Not because I care to uh, show people doing something wrong or right. Although I do care about that. That's not why. It's to break the narrative. It's to break the Liz Cheney lie that her select committee spent almost $20 million lying about what happened to deceive the people, mess up the jury, treat people wrong, brainwash Americans. That's got to be stopped. We got to break that narrative. And we are. 
So thank you to Speaker Johnson. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Once again, you all missed, this happens a lot, you all missed the best conversation uh, off the air. I didn't hit record with our next guest because we started talking about he's an experienced businessman, is a, a partner at Barker Companies, which uh, manages and owns apartments, other real estates. Uh, he'd been a professor over at the University of Iowa, University of Chicago, and uh, we were David Barker's his name. We were talking about all that, and then we got to get back to the interview. I said, we had to stop this and record this. So uh, he is all also a former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and uh, which is a big part of this. So, uh, Wall Street Journal, you wrote a piece over there at, 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 talking about um, this bogus study that uh, that <laughs> heat suppresses economic growth. I guess it's no surprise, David, to a lot of us that watch this. It seems like everything around the climate change stuff. It kind of feels like a hoax. I'm not saying I know the science. It just feels like what they tell us to to do and how they tell us it's going to go. They don't. Nobody. Re- they don't really know. And we're supposed to take them at their word. So uh, I, that's not a surprise. But walk us through what you saw in this one, please. Well, so I'm an economist, so I focused on the economic aspects of the research that's been done on climate change. Right. And I found that the research was incredibly flimsy uh, and should never have been published in peer reviewed journals. And this was research that was done by the Federal Reserve, other research that was done by very celebrated economists, uh, uh, people from Harvard and uh, MIT and places like that. Uh, But the Statistical analysis is bad. Uh, the use of data is bad. The assumptions that go into the analysis are just unbelievable. Uh, I found that making minor changes uh, to how the uh, uh, how the uh, statistical analysis w- was set up can reverse the results. Uh, and uh, it, it's just uh, amazing. Uh, we're talking with David Barker again. He mentioned he's an economist, his background, and coming looking at this, and, we're, and especially referring to a 2012 uh, paper. Um, three economists, Melissa Dell, Benjamin Jones, Benjamin Olkin, published, and and it basically says climate change hurts the economy, and there, everybody cites it. It's one of the top, very very top uh, economics publications cited all the time. And your point is, when you look closely at this, it, it doesn't hold up. My point here is. If you're in academia now, is it is it the psychology of of uh, tenure which makes it so, you know, if you say something that goes counter to the climate change mindset, you're not going to be popular. You're not going to be thought to be avant garde. You're going to be thought to be, you know, uh, uh, unhelpful. And so is that what's going on here? I mean, these Melissa Dell and Dr. Jones, Dr. Olkin, these aren't dumb people. Are they lying or are they somehow uh, brainwashed? Well, it's more concrete than that, I think. It's okay. that if you publish things that are outside of the mainstream, it's very or sorry, if you write things that are outside of the mainstream, it's very difficult to get it published. And if you don't get things published in peer reviewed academic journals, then your career is not going to advance. Uh, huh. But you're absolutely right. These are no dummies. Uh, you know, Melissa Dell won the John Bates Clark Award, which is the 
next to the Nobel Prize in economics, right. it is the highest award that economists receive. Uh, wow. She's at Harvard. Uh, the, the, uh, and, and the Federal Reserve, enormous resources for their research department. Uh, very, you know, very people with uh, amazing credentials. Uh, but the research that, they're, that they put out, that uh, at least on this subject, that uh, they get published uh, is just very, very weak. Um, David Barker's our guest. He's got, a, he's got a PhD from the University of Chicago, so he himself is no slouch in this area of economics. Also studied at the University of California, Berkeley. Um, my point in saying that served as an economist to the Federal Reserve. My point is, you you, you swam in these waters, um, right? And uh, is is your reason? I mean, I'm not. It's a little simplistic, but when you again, with the Wall Street Journal article that you 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 have written and and written about this uh, this um, kind of uh, study that claims one thing that you say it doesn't quite hold up. It, is your experience because you're more of a business guy and you didn't go into academia completely that you're seeing it better? Are you are you when you talk to economists who you worked with at the Federal Reserve and other places? Do you kind of quietly say, yeah, yeah, these guys are these guys are off? Or I mean, you know, do you see what I'm oh, saying? I'm- like how how does everybody not like, you know, say to each other, I mean, I'm not saying you have it all figured out, but it seems like directionally it's more your way than their way. I mean, I'm inclined to believe that anyway. Yeah, well, I'm not shy about it. So uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I talk about it when I can. But, you know, here's an example of uh, how the research falls apart. A, a small example. Right. So in that paper that we were discussing. Uh, part of the analysis involves separating countries into wealthy countries and poor countries. And so the method they used was to and they use data from 1960 until the early 2000s. And a country is classified as either rich or poor. Well, a lot of countries were poor for some of that time and rich for others. But they just decide if you were poor at the beginning of the sample, you were poor for the entire time. Well, South Korea, for example, was very poor in 1960, but Hmm. became very wealthy. When I simply changed the categorization of South Korea as poor when it was poor and rich when it was rich, the results go away. They (laughs) And and so that's an example. You know, when when you in statistical analysis, uh, there's you have to separate sort of noise from signal. Right. Uh, and so but when you make little changes like that and the results reverse, it's an indication that you're just looking at noise, that you don't have a real effect. And there were many other changes like that that I looked at uh, that changed the results of the paper. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Dr. David Barker. Um, he's a businessman and, uh, and works in um, all different uh, aspects of business and real estate and all, but is a PhD in economics and has uh, written over the Wall Street Journal on this topic. So can I ask you, um, on this program for years, I've had a guy named Gregory Wrightstone who has been, he's a geologist, and he looked at it as a geologist about six years ago and said, these people are not telling the truth. He's from Pennsylvania, too. And he's like there. The green movement is like the climate change movement is just it's it's misleading. And he dug into it. He wrote a book. Um, few people read it at first. And then and then many do. It's called uh, Inconvenient Facts, playing off of Inconvenient Truth. And he's got a second book now. And it's kind of a it's kind of a big hit now. And my my point ask you that is this position that you have. It feels like the tide is going in the direction of understanding what you're saying is more true than what has been told. In other words, if they got away with this 2012 uh, paper that was is so well cited or so frequently cited, it's kind of um, the, the people are, are are seeing things differently now. Is that am I reading the 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 uh, the flow of the of the 
uh, uh, feeling on these issues of climate change? And maybe more specifically, is that true in economics? Well, I think that the um, the enthusiasm of the climate alarmists is still very strong. But the message is getting out that climate change is not an existential threat. It's not going to cause economic catastrophe or other catastrophes. Uh, it's it, it's a you know, even so the, the best research that's been done on the economic effects of climate change show minor effects. In other words, that in the year 2100, we might be 4.9 times richer than we are now instead of five times richer than we are now. And that's not a catastrophe. The papers that I attacked were trying to show that there would be much, much larger effects because higher temperatures would affect the rate of growth. But there's but but that hypothesis just doesn't stand up. So back to my point, if you go to the University of Chicago, back to my question a little bit, if you go back to if you go to the University of Chicago right now and you go back there and you studied there, you probably have some colleagues still there or maybe moved into there and you go back now. Do do you get a different reception when you publish this article? Do they say, oh, yeah, I see it, too. Or, or a lot of people like this guy is one of those. He's got an axe to grind. You know, he went out into the into the real world and he's really lost it. Well, I think the most common reaction is just to ignore work like mine. Uh, But uh, when I do talk to people and walk them through the results, and I have done that with many uh, economists, they can't find a single thing wrong with it. And the authors that I of papers that I've critiqued have no answer. The the journal I published this in, and it's an academic journal, uh, Econ Journal Watch, which is uh, uh, just a breath of fresh air in the profession uh, that publishes critiques of other papers. Uh, They have an open invitation to all of the authors of these papers to reply to my work. Hmm. And that journal will publish any reply they do. But there's been no reply. You know, I testified on this work in uh, the Senate Budget Committee in Washington, D.C. The Democrats on the committee had no questions for me because they can't find anything wrong with my research. Hmm. It's interesting. Well, I'm glad you're out there. Thank you. And again, uh, we'll have you back again. Uh, I'm out of time, unfortunately. David Barker, Dr. David Barker, a former economist over at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, partner at Barker Companies uh, and has a a wide resume uh, in uh, private sector as well as uh, in academia. So uh, very interesting topic. We will we need to take a break, though, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I watched last week as uh, uh, the um, uh, Xi Jinping came to America, to San Francisco. I was embarrassed, I have to say. I, I, I thought it was embarrassing that what we how we changed San Francisco and how people acted and all. Well, our next guest, uh, Xi Van Fleet, uh, is the author of Mao's America, a survivor's warning uh, from about uh, two weeks ago. Book came out. Uh, Mao's America, a survivor's warning and uh, goes through. Through uh, incredible book, really, and uh, let me make sure I say the publisher. Oh yeah, Center Street. Center Street is publishing this one, and um, 
Uh, Xi Jinping is uh, described herself Chinese by birth, American by choice, survivor of Mao's cultural revolution. She was born in China, lived through the cultural revolution, uh, was sent to work in the countryside at 16 years old and uh, came to America to study English and has lived here since the mid 1980s. Um, she was fa- has been famous a little bit. Uh, people noticed in 2021 when she gave a speech out in Loudoun County, Virginia, against critical race theory. And now she spends her time warning people about uh, what's happening happened in communist China. Welcome to the program. How are you, ma'am? Great. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So uh, first of all, when you see uh, America and California do so much changing and things for the visit of Xi Jinping, what what do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel like, um, um, uh, how how do I feel? I, I, I don't know how to describe it. And more than 30 years ago, I came to this country and I thought I escaped communism. I thought I left it behind me. Now it's here. Not just it's here. It's taking roots here and it's being celebrated here. And that is absolutely horrifying for me. Uh, Well, and me too. And me too. Um, So when you say it's coming here, when you look around, uh, do you... You know, TikTok is an example. People talk about um, the as you you gave a speech on critical race theory and um, and more importantly, you know, the communist regime in China does really terrible things. I mean, you know, Hamas does terrible things, too. But, you know, there there's the, there's the Xi Jinping and we, we're our, our CEOs are rushing to be around him. How can we be missing uh, what's happening here? What What is your thoughts on why? It's just money. Is it just money greed that people no, want? No, no, no. I always tell people it um, it is a misconception that everything that we see, we experience here is from CCP. Now, it is from the uh, American Marxists and it's from the American communists. They have been here for more than a century. They have been trying to destroy this country for decades. They took over our institutions and took our uh, academia and and, uh, um, public schools. And that's where really the problem is. And of course, CCP now become their partners. Right. Right. Um, our, our guest again is uh, uh, is uh, the author of, of a book, Mao's America, a survivor's warning, Xi Van Fleet. Um, and she's been public, uh, very public in her um, in her speeches. And, and you'll see her on TV and on podcasts. Um, so that's an interesting point. So when I when I when I when I say to people that the communists in China are, are willing to spend time and energy to infiltrate America. They, they set up uh, uh, the, the universities. They said they, they move people to the country. When they declassified the Soviet uh, communist uh, records, we discovered that they were everywhere in America. And my point is, is there any reason the Chinese communists wouldn't be doing that here? And, and I, I guess you're saying yes, but it's really the, the, our, our inbred uh, Marxists that are causing the biggest problem. Exactly. That that's something people really have to understand. Now we're in um, the midst of a cultural revolution, but this is only part uh, part two or phase two of the uh, cultural revolution that they launched in the sixties and seventies, and that is mm. the counterculture. This is just continuation. During this time, they have been uh, really training uh, the next generation of Marxists and or people who believe in communism ideologies. And those people now are in control of all our institutions, everywhere from the local government to the uh, um, uh, to 
educational uh, systems and to entertainment, to business, and to our militaries. Now... Uh, it, yeah, they all come. Is, is, so, 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 and the power here is, uh, you, you, you went through the Cultural Revolution in China. You were a young girl and then went through it. And my question is, when you say the Marxist taxes of like division of, of, um, of, subver- of subverting our traditional culture, how, how was that taking place? when you were a girl and when you were in your teens, I mean, what, what, what was the division like there? I mean, you, 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 yeah, yes. you, yeah, go ahead. Okay. It's by class because that was the, uh, uh, the tactic they used to divide the Chinese people is by class. There is a red class and there is a black class. Red class were the, uh, um, the allies of the revolution and the black class were the, uh, um, the enemies and they started with those who have properties have lands they were the enemies of the state but eventually anyone who did not follow the uh, the narrative fall into the black class that's how they divide the chinese people and everyone knows which class they belong to and everyone fiercely um make sure they do not fall into the black class because that means um uh, really you lost any basic rights, and then you end up in gulags, and uh, and many of them lost their lives. So that's what uh, the CCP did is by class. But here we can see that class won't work that well. So they go by race, and then that's still not enough. So they go by um, gender, mm-hmm. uh, sexuality. They go on and on and on. And the but the goal is the same: is to divide people. And it's something else that is so similar, that's cancel culture. Why they want to cancel the culture? Because they want to replace the traditional culture with Marxist ideology. So everything traditional has to go. That's what Mm -hmm. Mao did during the Cultural Revolution. We destroyed the Chinese civilization. And so that we can make Maoism our religion and our dominant ideology. Same thing is happening here. Uh, Xi Van Fleet is our guest, and she's the author of Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning and uh, Center Street Publishing. And if I can summarize uh, the book, uh, sort of it's, it's she had gone. She has as a young girl, she went through the Cultural Revolution in China, came to America and is watching what's happening again uh, and saying, you're going through it here. We have to understand it. Um, are you optimistic uh, G. Van Fleet, when you see the response, when you see who we are, are you optimistic that we can win this or are you are you uh, you have a, a pit in your stomach because you've seen this play out before and you're and you're 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 you're, you're not seeing uh, a different result? I, I know people ask me this question all the time. My, my answer is we have to win it. We have to. There's no uh, option, no other option. So, but we have lost a whole generation of, uh, uh, of people. And today, the young people, they're so indoctrinated. And that's why we have to fight back by taking back our school. And to me, that's why I went to the school board. So to win this war, we have to win back our school. And I do see hopes. I walk and I've been talking to a lot of lot of people around the country. And the people I see are people just like me. Like three years ago, we were not involved politically. We did not pay attention to what's going on in school. Now people are waking up and fighting back to me. 
That's hope. Uh, uh, G Van Fleet, one more, one last question. I just have a minute left or so. How does the religion, how does um, undermining religion and churches fit into what, what you saw in China? I think Americans don't uh, necessarily understand Chinese, how f- religion and faith plays into the Chinese culture because it's, it's, it's more foreign to us than, than that. How do, how do you see it in America right now in terms of undermining the churches? It is written in the Communist Manifesto. They have to abolish um, private property, but they also have to abolish religion and family. And that's exactly what they did in China. They destroyed the fa- uh, religion. They destroyed the family. They took over the children, and the children belong to the state. And uh, parents have no say of what their children are taught. Uh, taught. And so that is exactly what's going on in today's America. So my book is really tell people the parallels of this two cultural yes, revolution. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's what we need to understand. Yeah, that's what I agree. That's it's sort of um, the power of your uh, book is that you say, I saw it already. I saw it already. I saw it happen to my family, my people, and I'm seeing it again. And you need to recognize it. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for the time. We're out of time, unfortunately. G. Van Fleet is the author. The book is Mao's America, a survivor's warning just out a week or two now. It came out late last month and is available from Center Street Publishing and everywhere you get books. Uh, We have to take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Recent studies showed that white and Asian students were enrolling in precalculus math classes at rates of two to four times the rates of black and Hispanic students. To conceal this uncomfortable discrepancy that was found in these studies, the diversity ideologues who were engineering the studies ended the tracking that enables advancement by talented math students and in some districts started requiring everyone to take low-level math classes in high school even though they are too easy for some of the students. School districts in Democrat-controlled cities, particularly in California, have imposed detracking to choke off opportunities for high-achieving math students. The purported goal is to provide the same access to advanced math for all students, but the effect is to hold back talented students who have the aptitude to qualify for higher-level classes. A Stanford study earlier this year showed that detracking causes smarter kids to be denied an opportunity for advancement, while yielding no measurable improvement for the kids who were left behind in regular classes. Leveling, another name for detracking, prevents students with greater math aptitude from progressing to more advanced material. Distraught parents in the ultra-democratic enclaves of Silicon Valley and San Francisco filed lawsuits earlier this year to challenge this liberal ideology that includes leveling, which has been imposed on the schools. An impressive total of 50 San Francisco parents filed their lawsuit in March to challenge the leveling or detracking policy. On August 29th, a Palo Alto school board meeting heard from two dozen students who complained about the detracking. One student pointed out how a math placement test appeared designed to block accelerated course enrollment. These anecdotes give two key lessons that every parent should know. 
First, the diversity ideologues want nothing more than to create equally bad outcomes for all students, holding back our best and brightest. Second, it is possible to successfully challenge these awful policies, thereby creating a better future for all of our children. Parents and grandparents, jumpstart the education of that child you love so much with a proven phonics course. With TurboReader, anyone at any age can learn to read. For free information on Phyllis Schlafly's TurboReader, call toll-free 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Open the door to a lifetime of reading and self-motivation. Call 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. Here to wrap things up, this is Ryan Height sitting in today for Mr. Ed Martin. Glad to be with you. Glad to have uh, spent this time on the show with you. Uh, but one other th- issue that I think needs to be talked about, we need to pick it apart a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to get into the weeds really quick because I think this is a prime example of the kind of thing that's happening when people refer to the administrative state, this growing behemoth of executive branch agencies that just really run amok and go completely outside the boundaries of what they are. Enforcement agents, regulatory agents. Uh, last year, uh, one of the big uh, two, there were two big rulings that came down from the Supreme Court. In my mind, one of them we've talked quite a bit about the Dobbs v. Jackson hearing, which of course overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, brought the abortion issue back to the states in earnest. But another big one, West Virginia v. EPA. That one has huge ramifications. It was essentially the Supreme Court's knocking down a federal agency, saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! You are a regulatory agency. You have enforcement duties, not lawmaking abilities." Back off. That is not your job. And as it pertains to the ATF, they are currently the number one offender of taking upon themselves this responsibility of legislating from an agency. That's exactly what has happened. So let me back up here. I want to tell you, first of all, what's happened is, and you may not know any of these terms, which is why I'm going to back up and give a short history. Uh, Just in the last week, a federal judge in Texas struck down a new rule from the ATF, not a law, a rule, mind you, they are uh, enforcement agents, they can clarify rules and specifics about laws, but they don't make law, They uh, a new rule banning the use of braces, arm braces, on certain kinds of pistols was struck down by a federal judge in Texas. Now, the, the long and short history of this is for years now, if you're not familiar, we have the National Firearms Act, the NFA, passed back in the 30s, we have the gun Control Act of 1968. Uh, Both of these things have regulated a host of uh, different things related to firearms. So uh, if you want to have a certain kind of rifle that the barrel is less than 16 inches, that qualifies as an SBR or a short-barreled rifle. That has to be regulated by the ATF. You want one of those, you can have it, but you have to pay a $200 tax. You have to fill out special paperwork with the ATF and register it with them. And then three or four months later, hopefully, uh, you will get permission to have your SBR, your uh, uh, short-barreled rifle. Uh, so things like short-barreled rifles or thing or short-barreled shotguns, things like uh, suppressors or silencers, which, uh, unlike Hollywood presents them, don't actually make guns silent. They just make it so it doesn't <laughs> damage your hearing with every shot. Uh, things like um, uh, uh, fully automatic machine guns. Uh, these are the types of things that were regulated. It didn't outright ban the ownership of some of these things, but there are so many hoops to jump through, taxes or fees to have to pay to the federal government. You get on the 
their list. You have to register it. Uh, one of these things, a, back in, I think it was 2012, uh, someone invented in the gun industry a brace. You can have some of these guns as long as they're less than 16 inches. They're not allowed to have a stock, a shoulder stock that fits up to your uh, shoulder. Not allowed to have those. Well, he invents something so that veterans who are disabled and, and can't just hold a, one of these shorter firearms like the rest of us can, he invents this brace that straps to their arm, makes it easier for them to fire. So he sends it to the ATF and says, hey, am I allowed to do this? Or does putting this on a pistol constitute a stock and it's going to be illegal for people? It'll make it an SBR, which they would have to then register. The ATF said, nope, you're good. That's fine. So those braces have become increasingly popular, both in the disabled and not in the disabled community, because it makes this pistol a little bit more manageable. Well, guess what? There are millions upon millions of them in circulation. The ATF doesn't like it. So for years, they have danced around trying to finesse the language of these rules, even though Congress has never made a law regarding if a brace suddenly constitutes a stock. There is no legal change to the status of the law, but the ATF did their best to finesse the rules. And January of 2023, they put down a new rule that says, yeah, those count now as a stock, even though we said they didn't. And even though Congress hasn't made it part of the legislation, we're going to decide that. Uh, So everyone has three choices, either destroy the gun or register it with us and pay your $200 tax stamp or uh, go to jail. These are your three options. So uh, there has been a huge legal fight ongoing. There have been some good court rulings that have protected certain members of certain groups, certain people who've bought certain brands of firearms, depending who brought the lawsuits. But finally, a federal judge has, for all intent and purpose, put this to bed once and for all and issued a nationwide injunction against this rule, no more enforcing the rule ATF, because it is not your job to make the laws. And this goes across the spectrum. This isn't just the ATF and guns. This goes across the spectrum, across the administrative state, the minions of the alphabet agencies that have taken upon themselves the responsibility to make law by crafting and finessing the language of rules. That's a no. And it must be understood fully by Americans, even if guns or the ATF or some specific, the EPA, if it's not your thing, you still need to understand that this affects all of us because it is a massive growth of a bureaucracy that has brought all of our individual rights and all of our freedoms under assault by the host of agencies in D.C. It needs to be understood and it needs to be stopped. This is a huge victory, not just for the Second Amendment advocates, not just for people who have pistol braces, not just for any of that crowd, but for everyone against a weaponized administrative state of regulatory agencies run amok. This is a huge victory. So you need to know that. That's a second thing that you need to know. We'll call that the wrap up for today. I just wanted to give a little bit of a history there and kind of let you know this victory and why it matters and why it's important. Of course, there'll be appeals and such, but it's in the it's in a federal district in Texas. Who are they going to appeal to? The Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit has already ruled on this in a more limited way, and they're against it. And if it gets appealed after that, who's it going to go to? The Supreme Court that passed West Virginia v. EPA that told the uh, uh, the executive agencies to pound sand when it comes to making new law. So there you go. That's what you need to know on the second side. That's our wrap up for today. Thanks for sticking around for it. Thanks for being a part of this. Thank you to Ed for leading the show. Thank you to Mason, my co-producer, for helping us keep all of the trains running on time, as we like to say. Thank you to you for listening, for being informed, for being a part of this, and for being here each and every day for the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. You can get this resource and podcast standalone and all the rest of them. And you can sign up for the email list and stay interested and stay informed with all the things we're talking about. We will look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow on the Pro-America Report. We'll talk to you then, everyone.
Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.